And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. It's a manhouse! A manhouse! How's it going, everybody? This is Mike. Uh, we just wanted to break in just before the show started. Uh, what we did... This show is a, a, a mobile show that we did. We went to go see all three of us, me, myself, uh, Rob, and Jason, went to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. But there was kind of breaking news that happened uh, earlier today. This would be Monday the 11th. Um, Actor-comedian Robin Williams committed suicide, and we just wanted to say from the, us at the Movie Madhouse, uh, he was a great influence on all of us growing up, and he. we just wanted to say uh, our, our condolences to the Williams family, and uh, I said, I hope he finds the peace that he was looking for that he couldn't find here in life. So we just, I just wanted to get that out for everybody. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to get out of the way and I'm going to start the show. So I hope, uh, thank you everybody for downloading the show. And uh, this is our view and review of Guardians of the Galaxy. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Movie Madhouse. On the road! On the road. Yes, road trip. And the, the, we, we broke out the mobile studio yet again. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it has. That was the uh, the Firefly special that we uh, that we did the last mobile many many moons ago. Many many moons ago. Yeah. Went to so. s- went to see Serenity on the big screen. Yeah. So now we've seen something else on the big screen, and just to forewarn anybody, there spoilers. will be spoilers galore spoilers, in this. Spoilers, spoilers. spoilers. Uh, so if you uh, haven't yet seen Guardians of the Galaxy. And you don't want it ruined. And you don't like spoilers. Now is the chance to shut off the podcast. You have been warned. That's... We'll, <laughs> you'll, we'll give you five seconds. One, two, three, four, like five. Just like Rocket. That's right. <laughs> Count of five. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, uh, I think that's five seconds. Okay, that's five seconds. Yeah, that's good. All right. So, Guardians of the Galaxy. Horrible. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. Jay's fired again. Yes. Garbage. Worst piece of cinema I've ever put the film. <laughs> wow. I, I can't say it with a straight face. <laughs> you were in Lucy, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Scar Jo. She's a Marvel. She's a Marvel actress. That's right. Black Widow, but she's not in this movie. No. Oh, damn. The wrong theater. Yep. <laughs> I have to say, I thought it was freaking awesome. This is the second time I've seen it, so it, it just... Me too. <laughs> there, there's, there's so many different levels. I, I like when I watched it the first time. I took the uh, the kids, and I saw it in two D. Um, and it was because of the theater. We've already talked about how dark our theater is. Um, I, I was worried about three D, mm-hmm. but we came to a uh, well, okay, a better theater. Better theater and an AVX show. AVX Atmos Theater. This theater blew my mind. Said it was bright. It was the music or the 
the dialogue and the soundtrack and the sound was fantastic. Oh, huge. Yes, the, the Atmos takes it, it as I, I think I made the joke in the theater, Atmos takes THX and turns it up to 11. Yes. It was phenomenal sound. All just the little things like when there's the water fountains, you could hear the water fountain all around you. And after the big explosion at the end, you could hear the fire crackling all around you. And yeah, it was it just adds a whole other layer of depth. Don't drink the fountain water. <laughs> well, it's nice because, especially in this one, like I was saying before, it's, it felt like a crisper, deeper 3D. Yeah. And with that added sound 3D effect, you were really in the middle of it. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That, the, like, the movie is supposed to be, like, every, every movie is supposed to be, our eyes are supposed to be the camera. Correct? That's mm-hmm. the way. So, it felt very immersive. Because of uh, the real 3D and the Atmos sound, it was really, really enthralling, engrossing. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you you saw and heard everything that they wanted you to see and hear. And it, it was just big. And it probably, I don't know, one of the best Marvel movies so far. Uh, definitely. I think so. And th- this experience, this type of movie is worth, for us, it's it's an hour drive. So it's worth that hour drive to get this kind of movie experience oh, man. for this type of flick. You know, an effects blockbuster that's just over the top. You know all the detail is going to be there when it's a high quality one like we're getting from Marvel. Absolutely worth the drive. Well, especially even when you saw Groot on the screen. He was crystal clear. Oh, you yeah. could see the the rudges and the bark. It was awesome. And the, the little, all the little the little saplings coming up off of him. And <laughs> <laughs> now he, him him chewing on himself was a little disturbing. <laughs> you might understand why he was doing that. Star Lord <laughs> just kind of shying away from him, like oh. He was a little hungry at that point. Oh, hey. I am Groot hungry. Yes. And now, with the basic storyline, this. I was wondering, as a standalone movie, how it would relate to the other ones. This is almost a pivotal movie for Avengers 3. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it brings back Thanos, it brings back the Collector, and it really introduces the Infinity Stones. Yeah, yeah now we have the clear explanation of them. And we saw, when, in that explanation, we saw the Tesseract. We saw the Aether, which was in Thor Dark World. Yep. Uh, and then this one. So there's still two left. Now, are we going to be getting the slow progression for them? Or is it like, are we going to get the number four and number five over the next two big Marvel movies? Or are they just going to leave those out and move on and, and just bring them all five together for Avengers 3? Who owns Fantastic Four again? That's uh, Sony. Oh, okay. Well, it won't be there. No. No, uh, but we got Ant-Man. There could be something connected with Ant-Man. I just don't see Ant-Man being involved in a, a cosmic-level uh, story that the, the, the Infinity Gems bring. Um, there might be a little something in Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, there could be something involved with that where that triggers Ultron. Oh, yeah, gives the, him what, that what sentience. Gem, yeah. The fourth infinity gem is what triggers Ultron's sentience or whatever. That's a possibility. That is yeah. a possibility. So, there, there, there is definitely a lead-in 
Well, I do believe from the San Diego Comic-Con, Josh Brolin stood up in the middle of the Marvel panel with the Infinity Gauntlet on. Yes. So. Well, he was in this movie. Yeah. Great imagery. That, oh. that vision of him, of Thanos, that was a great Sitting image. in the throne. And you could actually see Josh Brolin in yeah. Thanos' face. I like you said his line to Ronan, your politics bore me. Mm-hmm. So that just is telling you that Thanos is so far above what everybody else is thinking. It said there's there's gonna be that moment somewhere in the line where it it has to drop. I, I when I finally see the Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy together on my screen at the same time. Again, that's going oh. to be an absolute geekgasm. <laughs> like there's like nobody's business. Now, now we already know that they're doing Guardians of the Galaxy too. Absolutely, that's already yeah. been announced, and that, that's a no-brainer. Well, so think about this: Avengers three, we're going to get the crossover. We yeah, because think about this: everybody was amazed when you had the Avengers, because you had Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, you had all these people. Yep. Now we're waiting for a whole new group oh, to come what in. What are you doing? <laughs> Crazy drivers in London. So we're going to have another huge group come in with Drax and Gamora and Rocket, and added to that. Groot, you Don't forget Groot. Oh, and everyone, everyone forgets Groot and Star Lord. <laughs> Chris Pratt. If they didn't have a Ryan Reynolds already locked in for Deadpool, Chris Pratt could probably be a. Deadpool. Yes, after seeing this movie, absolutely. He's got that edge. <laughs> he does. And that little wit, you know. And you always got to remember, too, like, okay, he's saying stuff somebody else wrote. He carries it, though. Oh, yeah, he br- you he's know? bringing his, him through that. That's, so. I started to say this in the theater, and you're like, no, no, save it for the car. That, to me, that's the director, because he also wrote a James Gunn. Yep. Okay, he hasn't done a whole lot, but... Like he did Super, a great dark comedy about with Rain Wilson, who becomes a superhero, a vigilante, really. Very dark. It's got Ellen Page. Um, he does. He does, he's like Joss Whedon, where the dialogue isn't what you expect and what you normally see in a big budget movie. You know, normally it's pretty straightforward. No, he does quirky dialogue. Yep. James Gunn, where Joss Whedon. Uh, it's just quirky dialogue. James Gunn gives you quirky adult dialogue. Who that's, puts the sticks up their butt? <laughs> that is exactly it. Because you, you, when you when you got your Avengers and the stuff like that, you didn't you did not get some of the more adult language in the in the movies. This one, they said they they kept it away from their their PG thirteen because well, they're allowed one fuck. Yep. In PG thirteen. <laughs> But they went right up to it, but they didn't. Oh no! So they could keep it. That little wire electricity snap. That little pop. Yep. Snap, yeah. So. And the humor, it has oh. that adult edge. Yes. Right, but I took my eight-year-old to it, and he loved it. But it's it's adult humor that the kids won't understand. Exactly. There's they do have the two levels of yep. humor there for everybody. Like when uh, Star Lord there in his place, your your ship is filthy. She has no idea. If I had a black light it would look like a Jackson Pollock painting. When I when I first saw the movie, the theater was packed. Like so the one that we just, we just saw was a sweet matinee. There's like 
us and 20 other people in the theater. Exactly. When I saw it the first time, it was packed. When that line dropped, the whole place erupted in laughter. Yep. <laughs> so, it was just like, there is some good, sweet, funny adult comedy to keep everybody involved. And the, uh, I, lo- I love Rocket. Rocket makes this movie oh. for me. I want more Rocket and Groot. I want the adventures See, of Rocket and Groot. Oh, I have been a fan of Rocket since the first comic I ever picked up with him. And that's what I couldn't wait for this movie. Yeah. You know? Well, I think we all, we've all said it. As soon as they announced Guardians of the Galaxy, and there was the first hint that Rocket was going to be in it, I was so sold on this movie, and I didn't have even shot a frame yet. Yep. And... I wanted it. I wanted it bad. But I see. I wasn't only because I know nothing about the comics. I know nothing about the <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy comic books. Now you know. So I went into this totally fresh, not knowing anything about them. I'm hooked. I, I want more. Give me more. Well, it did say Guardians of the Galaxy will return. Yes. Other yep. this, <laughs> going into Phase Three with the Marvel movies, and I'm so excited for the future of what they have in store for us like if uh, Age of Ultron is anything like what Guardians of the Galaxy is we're going to get so much action on that screen um, it's the one the, the teaser poster with all the Avengers with the, the multitude of Ultron robots yes that was a wicked poster oh it's, it's just the the potential and the prospect of these movies being absolutely gigantic uh, is something they're they're printing their own money basically yes uh, the the cast that they had for Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Michael Rooker oh he is awesome no, <laughs> doesn't matter what Michael Rooker plays yeah. he is awesome like I didn't realize Rooker was in it until I said I saw the opening credits one really now I'm fascinated as to see where this is going and you get the little tease of uh, Peter Quill not being in the like well at, at the very end you find out he is not 100% human yeah said there's there's something else behind him or in him in his makeup that is another storyline that they have to develop. Well, they, they dropped this, the hint there, too. It's like, good thing we didn't drop him off of his dad like we were supposed to. Yes. You know? Now, to be honest, I kind of expected that to come out, because just from when it, with his mother dying and she's saying his, his dad was an angel, I suspected that there was going to be more to him. Yeah. But th- then they, they just confirmed that. Well, what blew my mind was they had the Celestials. Yeah. That blew my mind. That nowhere place that's ahead of a celestial, celestial. being. Yeah. <laughs> They're and mining the inner guts of a, of a celestial being's head. Oh, yeah. So that is how deep this Marvel franchise is taking this thing. They're, they're getting celestials involved. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> it's just like, when, where's it going to stop? And... Like, I don't want it to stop. (laughs) It's how much more are they going to be able to give us? Yeah. Like, they're, okay, we've got the Infinity Gauntlet coming up somewhere down the line. Which is a huge storyline. It is a gigantic storyline. 
Well, okay, if they do that, they're going to have to introduce Adam Warlock somewhere along the line. He's a key part a key part of that. Absolutely. So there's there's so many more characters that we're going to be introduced to. Well, we know Doc Strange is coming. Yes. That's still that they they're still well, talking about that coming. It's so nice too that they don't rush a story. You know, like, oh, we have the Infinity Gauntlet, let's make a movie. And put out the movie and ruin it because they try and cram so much. You know, they are. They're taking their time. They're, they're wetting people's whistles with just little bits of information. Basically, and, if, if it all culminates in Avengers 3, which, thinking about it, it might not even culminate in Avengers 3. It could culminate in a standalone Infinity Gauntlet movie, Infinity War movie or something. That is very true too. It could that could it could come into that. That that means you can look back and go through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe and it'd be like one really long movie all culminating to one big story. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. You're gonna have all these hints. You're gonna look back at all of them and go, I there was a hint for that, there was a hint for that, there was a hint for that, all the way through. Well that's what connects this Marvel universe. Everything talks about everything, you know? One thing I, I caught from this now, Rob, have you caught up on the event and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, you know, there's a debate as to what was it that that, that got brought back Coulson? What was it that brought back Sky? Oh, it's from the Chitari body. That wasn't a Chitari. Chitari. It was a scroll. No. Was it? That's what I thought it was. And I, well, our, with the, the Kree. Oh, it was Kree. The, I thought it was Kree. The Kree are the blue ones, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, wait. Yes, they Skull, are. Scrolls are green. That's right. Skulls are green. The Kree are blue. blue. The Chitari are... Purple. Purple, yes. bloody mouthy, messy. And I like how they tied having the Chitari as uh, foot soldiers for Ronin. Mm-hmm. So you, you're actually... We're still tying everything together. Yep. It said it keeps getting deeper and deeper. Well, because that was right at the beginning. Which was it? Either Iron Man or at the beginning of Avengers, they had that Chitari out in the, that space thing, wherever Thanos was. Yeah. That's where that started. Way back at the beginning. Yeah. Sanctuary. That's where. Sanctuary. There yeah. we go. Thank you. Now, but with that in mind, if it's a Kree that they used to bring back Coulson and Sky. Does that mean we're going to get a decree scroll, some decree scroll conflict in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Wouldn't surprise me. Well, because I did hear the rumor, like, it's, you know, naturally it's probably like a family rumor or whatever, but what is special about Sky? We know Sky on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't entirely human. What if she's scroll? And they used Kree blood to bring her back. That could really drive a wedge. You mean like a Cree sleeper or Skrull Cleat sleeper? Something like that. Oh, they could do that entire uh, secret invasion. Secret invasion, yeah. Ooh. Mockingbird's uh, is uh, supposed to be coming in in the next season of uh, Shield. So wow, bringing nice. in Mockingbird, and Mockingbird apparently was one of the first secret scrolls. That's right, she was. That was one story I never read. I, I never read it either. It's just uh, when I heard that they said Mockingbird, then they said that she was in the comics. She was one of the first Secret Scrolls. So, mm. you know, it's and very possible getting that all that a part of it. And if you do that, if you do do bring in Mockingbird into the Agents of Shield, you can get a Hawkeye cameo because Hawkeye and Mockingbird were an item. Oh, 
Oh, that's right. Holy smokes. But see, in this particular universe, it's Black Widow and, and Hawkeye. Well, no. I don't get a romantic connection. No, they're, 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 that's a working relationship. Yeah, that's a partnership. Hawkeye and Mockingbird were a romantic relationship. I I honestly think with Black Widow and, and Hawkeye, there was something else there. Like, sure, Obviously, it's a well-working relationship. But I think there was something else there. I might have had a thing in the past, like a, like a quick little tryst, and they both realized it's not going to work. So yeah. maybe there's the, they do have that, that chemistry because they were together at one point in mm-hmm. time, romantically. But I think they've, they come to the realization that what they do can't survive what they do. Yeah. So Well, they kind of, uh, I think the Black Widow kind of hinted that she was she was a bad agent or whatever, an KGB whatever, and Hawkeye's the one who turned her over to Shield, like turned her and made her the a good agent, if you will. Okay. So I I think it's more of a she, you know, she he saved her life, and she returned the favor in Avengers. That's I I, I never caught a romantic clip between them. Okay. Okay. Back to Guardians of the Galaxy. As I was just gonna say. Yes. <laughs> That movie has so much information packed into it, but it doesn't feel like a lecture. No, no, it doesn't. Um, it does a. What I like about the, it, this is an origin story, and we rail against origin stories like there's no tomorrow. But this is a, an introduction to a character nobody really knows. Star Lord, Peter Quill. Yeah. He is. At best, an F-level character. <laughs> and then, same with Gamora, and definitely with Drax. Yeah. And nobody knows Rocket, and nobody uh, knows Groot. I'm sorry. So I know Rocket. Okay. You're, okay. <laughs> we, Outside okay. of the hardcore comic the, Yeah, the, hard, the hardcore comic book geek will know the Guardians of the Galaxy. I stand correct. But when it comes to the general public, which yes. this is aimed at, then... Yeah, all five of them are unknown. Absolutely. And so, this is, I would want to say, dangerous territory because they're going into this with characters nobody's heard of. It is. It's the first non-Avengers standalone movie. Yeah. You know? And it stands alone quite well. (laughs) They they do have that, the, the overarching story, but again, this is a standalone a standalone story and it, even if Avengers and whoever else even if they do not ever cross over they're still perfect entities by themselves yep. oh yeah yeah. so like you said have your self-contained stories of each one of these groups and then you can then you break off little chunks of the Avengers and see, the nice thing about this origin story, too, it didn't feel forced. No. Like, oh, we got to get these guys together. How are we going to do it? Yeah. It didn't feel like that at all. No. No. Well, you know? I, like, my, the, the, the introduction to Star-Lord is I, I, really enjoyable. I said, you get the ship flying down on the, you get the, the, the graphic at the bottom. Uh, the name of the, uh, what's the name of this? Minecraft? Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. The abandoned planet? Yeah, the abandoned planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get the ship come down and you see the adventurer, the adventurer coming out with his armor and stuff like this. 
then you then you see the Walkman. Yeah. <laughs> and well, okay, even even before that, the introduction to Peter Quill is when he was a child and he witnesses his mother dying. Of cancer. 1988. 1988, this movie starts. Then it jumps 26 years into the future. Yep. And so when you when you see Peter Quill at the very beginning getting abducted by the Ravagers, you're going, whoa, okay. Like, at first it starts... Well, yeah, at, it comes right out of blue because he's in the hospital watching his mom die. She dies. He comes running out of the hospital just bawling. Yeah. And then this bright light from the sky kicks in. And then, what do we see? The Marvel's logo. Yeah. Because it's like, boom, there you go. There's your Peter Quill intro. Yeah, that's, yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's a sucker punch start. Yeah. Because you're you're set back in the, the 1988, that period. And then... Everything is normal till the last 10 seconds. Oh, yeah. And then an alien abduction. <laughs> yep. <laughs> then, bam, Marvel. Yep. So... I found it really neat that the whole the connection to the mixtape. You know, that, yes, we saw in the trailer, hey, leave that alone, that's mine, because the, the, the guard was playing with his Walkman. Yeah. Yep. Not, we, what you didn't see from that is how sentimental that yes. mixtape was to him. That was a nice little human touch there. Oh, yeah, it was his only connection to his mother. Yep. You know? And uh, he protected that <laughs> yes. more than he protected anything. So. It was so important, you had to go back for it. You're an, yeah. you're an imbecile. <laughs> Dave Batista as Drax the Destroyer, <clears throat> he made up for the man with the iron or that that Iron Fist movie that he was. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Man, that was a brutal brutal mess. But Dave Batista as Drax well, the Destroyer. Dave Batista did own Drax because just like Drax, nothing gets over Dave Batista's head. Oh, His reflexes are far too fast. <laughs> he will catch it. They don't know what metaphor is. <laughs> and then there's the part where they're sitting around discussing their plan, right? I have a plan. Yep, you were going to blow me up to save me, right? And and there goes Drax going, oh, okay, well, we have a better plan. He goes, no, no, you don't get to talk because you wanted to blow me up. Yeah. Well, when did we decide that was a good bad plan? Three seconds ago. I wasn't listening. I was thinking about something else. <laughs> the dialogue in this thing it's just it's so snappy and smart in all honesty it's nice to see a movie like this like this movie to me is what I would call a solid movie because everything fits you know like I said about the origin story not being forced none of the action is really forced either it's a natural flow that's when we talked about the raid 2 when I was when I watched the uh special or the, the, the making of they're talking about to the director he goes he didn't want to follow the regular beats of an action movie like six minute action sequence six minutes action sequence he wanted to have it flow the story flow naturally that's like this one as well yep. because you had your action sequences when you needed it so it had a nice undulating story to it it's not, it's not rocketing up to 11, then back down to the basement, then back up like this. It float nice. You're not being jerked around all over the theater. A prime example, I went to see Lucy. And like I said, the first half hour, 40 minutes of that movie is awesome. After that, it dies a very slow, horrible death. <laughs> the only big part in the beginning that 
just blows my mind and I still have no idea, but they needed it for the story. She gets abducted, they cut her open and stick the drugs into her, then they give her an airline ticket and say, okay, well now we're sending you back to your home country, when you get there we're going to cut you open and take the drugs out. They put a bag over her head, suddenly they take the bag off, she's chained up in a room with four guys. The one guy makes an advance, she pushes his hand away, they beat the crap out of her, which breaks open the bag. None of the other three, like there was four people there being sent home. The other three never ended up in rooms, but she did. Why? It was never explained why she ended up in that room, but they needed her there in the story to get beat up. Nothing, yeah, nothing like that happens in Guardians. You know, the only flaw I would see in the story is their timing. James Gunn needs to work on his timing just a little bit. The one prime example is where when they're in nowhere and everybody's gambling, you know, and they finally go up to see the collector and Drax is down there drunk as a skunk and makes the guy make a phone call. Yeah. Well, they're up there with the collector. He talks about the Infinity Gem and it blows up and they come running out. Well, suddenly Ronan's there. It's like, holy crap, those are fast ships. Yeah, well, see, they never really explain if, well... You don't know how long they were up there, yeah, or... We don't, know, well, we don't know what their technology is for space travel. Yeah. Right. So, because, you know. yeah, they did not do the part of the filler where they're traveling from nowhere to Xandar, yeah. or wherever Ronan's ships were to nowhere. We never we never got the idea... That cloud looks like the fire. Never went. But, <laughs> <laughs> it does look like Firefly, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but you, we, we never did get the technology explained if they could faster the light speeds or anything like that. But yeah. Because, yeah, that, that, that timing was a little questionable. Where, where did, how, how did Drax call Ronan and... <laughs> He's there like 10 seconds oh, later. Yeah, like they come back down and, oh, and went the, from a... That was, that was a rough one because they went from a, a high action sequence to another high action sequence. Yeah. And well, and the reason I said James Gunn, he got to work on timing is because it happened also with them out in space. When they went out to, out of nowhere in those little mining ships, yeah. Gamora gets blown up and she's out in space. And then Quill says, okay, uh, oh, oh, Gunn, what the heck was... Odatu? Is that... The Ravagers. Michael Rooker. Yeah. He goes, here's where I am. Come and get me. And he runs out to get her, and then suddenly they're there. They were there. They were... That was at nowhere. Yeah, they were... Odatu was already there. Yeah, they're in nowhere. Suddenly they're out of nowhere. But... You know... know where they went when... That's just it. They showed up. They probably ran back to their ships. Yeah, they could... That one has a little bit more plausible than they just showing up. They did show that they have a big mothership, Mm -hmm. and then the the Ravagers have the big mothership, and then the fighters. They actually have the two. If you notice, remember when they were attacking the the Dark Adder? No, no, no. They have an even bigger, bigger mothership. They have the the two ships that attacked the Dark Aster. Yeah. Plus all the other fighters. That all came from the much bigger mothership. Oh, see, I never saw that. Yeah, okay. so what Peter did, he probably called the mothership. Uh, the mothership called Rooker's character, go get him. So it, it was just a matter of going around the bend, I guess, for the mothership. Yeah, to me, the timing just, it was very fast. Just like Ronan showing up yeah. was very fast. That you whole know. middle sequence was... Uh, yeah, it's a gray area to me where... You know, if you're going to have a perfect movie, 
make it perfect. You know, and this is as close as I've ever seen. Like, I think it has, it has to do with timing the movie out. So, they, they have an idea how long these movies are going to be. And then they, when they, they want to have, have that much story into it, they can't shoehorn too much oh, yeah. into it. But if they do, then they run, run the risk of going three hours. And that's just too much. And so... That little time compression of you gotta accept showing it. up. Yeah. You have to you have to like you said, you have to accept it. And honestly, <clears throat> like I said, this is the second time I've watched it. It wasn't till we were leaving the theater today that I kinda of thought about it. When I watched it the first time, didn't even dawn on me. No, because we're so in the first time we see it, I mean I'm with you. Like I said I'm I'm the second time I see it, I'm trying to pick the things that I missed the first viewing. Yeah. Like, you're so invested in the first viewing, you want to see, and you want to take in, you want to take in the atmosphere, the the, the, the movie. Mm-hmm. So you, ah, you, you bask in the glory of that, the movie, and then when you decide to go back to see it again, then you can go back with a critical eye and try and pick apart, not pick apart, but pick the things that just seemed a little wonky or... See, now you're, you're or like you said you missed yeah you know uh, when JFK first came out I saw that in the movie theater six times <laughs> and every time I went back I spotted something new or I heard something new you know like you, you do that with each different viewing yeah. so I know when this comes out in DVD or I'll probably go see it again before it's done <laughs> I'm gonna see something else yeah. you know no well, like I said there's not a whole lot of uh, choices out there right now other than like, I haven't seen a movie multiple times in the theater in a long time, other, up until now. Yeah. Um, I know I've seen, I, I believe I saw The Avengers three times in the theaters. I saw it twice. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the three boat. I saw it three times. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, give me, give me the story. I'll, I'll, I'll go in to the first one. Fanboy Riffic, let yep, geek out, geek out, and then each each following time, I'm going in critical mode to analyze the movie, and that's like I said, that's where you're picking up the little time crunches here and there. The uh, because the second one, I what I did was uh, this on the second watching when they went to the collector, I was looking all over. I was looking around to see if there was anything Easter egg-ish in the collector's... Well, I was uh, trying to do that. That's too. what I was trying to do, too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Because you know they're burying stuff in the background. So you have to... you got to wait for the DVD to pause it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and zoom in. And get the, has get anybody the... confirmed that, that uh, image from Thor yet? The vault is oh. the vault really in there. I keep forgetting about that. Yeah, that's the um, is that the, the Infinity Gauntlet? No, in the no, first the first one. one. The first one. In yep. the first one, when you when they go down into the vault, supposedly you can see the gauntlet. I have not checked it. I keep forgetting about that. Yeah, same here. I'll try and remember. Well, when I go home, I'm going to bed. But when I get up, I'll check it out. <laughs> they did mention about Easter eggies. Um, in the prison, in, in the whole prison break scene, actually it might have been just before the actual prison break, 
Yeah, it was. If you look, there's one quick cameo, but not everybody's going to know who it is. But Lloyd Kaufman of Troma Studios, mm-hmm. the mind behind Toxic Avenger. Yep. He was one of the one of the inmates. And see, now I want to double-check that other inmate <laughs> to see if that was Nathan Fillion or not. Well, well he's credited as the, as the voice of. <laughs> now, I knew about the Lloyd Kaufman from John Miori because he went to see it, and he got on his Facebook after he saw the movie, and he goes, was that Lloyd Kaufman? <laughs> <laughs> That's where I read it, and you ripped on me for it. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook, you can't trust Facebook. Exactly. Nope. I read the same damn thing. No, I just, I, <laughs> I read it. Doesn't mean I put any stock into it. Yep. He Until I it. verified for myself. He did not see it posted on MSU.com, so <laughs> therefore, <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, no, no. But, um, the, okay, the jailbreak scene was so fun because you've got Rocket laying out his plans how to escape from the rock. I need yep. that leg. I need, I, I need that leg. And they said, I need this battery. And the battery's got to be taken out last. In the meantime, you see Groot in the back. <laughs> fiddling with it. Pulling out the battery. The alarm goes off. The rocket goes. with the, the, that plate. Oh, the cover, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just tossed it. But yep. the alarm goes off, and so Rocket says, or we can get it first and improvise. Yeah. <laughs> that... The dialogue Bradley Cooper brought, the the rocket voice, the rocket mannerisms, yeah, it was just so fun. Um, it was one of those voices you could tell it was him, but it was unique. Yes, you know it. It's not something if you heard an interview you'd hear him saying. No. Now it was in the trailer, but when you saw it in the movie, when he when Drax throws him that rifle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's a really cool moment right there. When him and him and Groot, when Rocket and Groot are just blasting everybody away in the in the in the prison, that is probably the the quintessential moment of uh, Rocket and Groot, their teamwork. Oh, big time. Because you can see how well they work together. You have no idea how long they've been together. But that's can, why I want more of their adventures. <laughs> I want to know more. Well, and that's the nice thing about the whole Marvel thing, too. They can take any one of their characters and go off on their own with it. Do a spin-off, yeah. You know, like Avengers, you got Iron Man, you got Thor, you got you got Zombie Coulson. You know, anything <laughs> in here, you could go off. You could go Gamora all on her own. You could go Drax all on his own, right? Well, uh, that being said, I cannot see... Groot and Rocket doing a cameo on Agents of Shield. No. No. Because I can see, I can see, Agents Shield, I can see Star-Lord popping up. Star-Lord, even that one's a stretch. Because well, okay, he is the most air quote human of them all. But he is he's got such a a, a, a cosmic quality about him, I think well, is you gotta look. Stopping home for a visit. Oh no! You you have to look. Nowhere in this movie were they anywhere near our solar system. Oh no! You know. So, him and Earth, they're not visiting right now. Yeah, he doesn't want to go home. That was definitely implied. Yeah. The only call it Earth. They kept calling it Terra. So I don't know if they did even reference it as Earth at all. No. No, and that was because that's what. 
Utunga there kept calling it. Uh, Rooker's character. Yeah, Michael Rooker. <laughs> There's me, Blue Skin Merle. Blue Skin Merle. There we go. Blue Skin with his whistling spear dart of death. That was that was wicked. <laughs> After he crash landed on the planet, when he got shot down, he right. crash landed on the planet, and all those charred. Uh, were they Chitari? I think those were scrolls, actually. I wasn't sure. No. Because Quill called them Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Or he called them a Ninja Turtle wannabe. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Oh, yes. When he crash lands and all these turtle wannabes are standing around there and he whistles for that thing and it hits every single one of them. And then and he, the guy on the ship. Yep. Even the ship. And he grabs it and you see them all fall pretty much at the same time and the ship crashes in the background. I was like, that was sweet. Right after he picked up his little figurine. Exactly. Gotta have the figurine for his like control that. console. You see that? See, it's those little, little quirks that flesh out a character. I like to line them up on my console. Exactly. So you learn a little quirk of this guy. I think he picked it, that up from Star-Lord. But see, that but was... It, but it's something that's... You don't see that. You don't get no. that depth of well, character development. Not only that, it's a joke to start. Because he's in the the broker's office, he's looking at that little bobble thing. Looks like a frog. Yeah. Right, you got any more of these? Because I like to line them up on my console. And the brokers are going, I have no idea if you're serious or not, right? <laughs> and then you get to the big battle, and there he is. He's got them all lined up on his console. You know, it adds, like you said, it adds the depth. And then when he did open that orb, and there's a luck troll in there, yes. uh, and he just smiles. See, start a new collection. To me, that was a little out of character. Really? I know he loves Peter Quill. Okay. I think there's a, a big relationship there because he doesn't want to kill him. No, right? no he would have killed him a long time ago. Exactly. So. <laughs> but I'm sorry. If the guy is supposed to get 400 million units for this stone, and he opens it, and there's a little toy troll inside... It's got sentimental value. Oh, pfft, not 400 million <laughs> units, yeah. You can't put a price on sentimental value. Oh, blue skin Merle can, yep. <laughs> I think around the 200 million, he's got a good mark. Well, I, I think that smile was, he, he opened it up, I think he knew. Because he, when he was sitting there and he's holding the orb, I think he knew, even before he opened it, that Star-Lord had screwed him. See, I, I actually thought it was a little deeper than that. Because of this relationship that I think he's got with Peter Quill, yeah. he's sitting in that chair. He does. He looks angry almost. And he's looking at the orb. To me, he's thinking, um, with them getting this orb and, and Star-Lord taking off, their relationship's over. He opens it up. There's that little troll. He goes, yep, now i got to go after him. Yeah. So it's a, still a connection. Yeah. Well, but my, my, what I'm trying to is... He knows. He knows that the uh, the Infinity Stone is not in that in that orb. I think he, he knows. He, I think he knew it. when he got the orb. Yeah. <laughs> he knows. So when he sit there and he finally opens it and he sees the troll and he smiles, he goes, "The game's back on." Exactly. So yep. I, I agree with you as. He did not want that relationship with Peter Quill to end by any stretch of the imagination. Yep. And when he finally, when he sees it, he goes, <laughs> still on. So, yep. The game is afoot. Yeah. Now, I like that relationship. It's 
a very antagonistic relationship, but he said he, the, the threat of well, I haven't eaten a tear and I've never tasted a tear. <laughs> yep. One, I no. saved your life. Yeah. And he said, "Oh, shut up! You've been saying it." Exactly. <laughs> Normal people don't think about eating other people. <laughs> but that was that relationship. I really like it because he becomes a, a father figure to Peter Quill. Yeah. And that that one-upmanship because. Peter's usually by himself, whereas Bluskin uh, Merle has his Ravager army. Yep. So it's a, a, a big game of cat and mouse that they really, really enjoy. And I think a lot of it, too, was the fact that Peter Quill, was, he was leading Peter Quill, right? Peter Quill was part of his crew, yep, yep. you know, since he was eight years old. Now he's actually the, the student has surpassed the master. Mm-hmm. He's now his own captain, you so know, he's and it's one step ahead of him. Yep. yep. That little tear of oh my gosh, he grew up so fast, you know. Well, see what I like about uh, Gunn's writing over Whedon's writing about this is when Whedon has a crew, they are uh, usually beat to death, like the Firefly crew, the Serenity crew is fairly scraping by but when they're on nowhere and Peter just an offhand remark to Gamora goes fuel prices are so so high I might end up losing money on this thing that tells me uh, Star-Lord is a better better outlaw yep. he's, he's, he's a successful outlaw he's uh, making money yeah whereas poor Mal, Mal. Yeah, he, <laughs> can barely keep his ship, ship in the air. And Mal, his conscience always got the best of him. That's true. You know? And you could tell that wasn't always the case with Star-Lord. No. <laughs> no. Even, you know, like, right when uh, the Collector's Place blows up because of this Infinity's Gem, Gamora's going, we have to get this to Novacore. He's like, yes. Or, <laughs> we can take it to someone who won't try and arrest us, and they can give us a lot of money. <laughs> Before that, when uh, he's standing there with Gamora, and he get, puts the headphones on us, so she's listening to the music, and he moves in to kiss her, she flips him down, I'm not another one of your floozies! Yeah. <laughs> well, I know you! Your pelvic magic. Your pelvic magic, that's <laughs> Just like right at the beginning, too, after... Because you see that in the commercial where he's trying to get the orb. Yep. And they drop the orb. Okay, who are you, Star-Lord? Who? Yeah. You know, never heard of him? When he's getting out of there, he gets in the ship and finally gets away. And he's all rolled upside down in the whole bit. This little Renskid thing comes out of the hold. Oh, what's going on? He goes, you know, I got to be honest, I forgot you were there. (laughs) It's a whole Captain Kirk moment right there. Oh, yeah. Well, I like... They they showed... um, not vulnerability, but uh, clumsiness on his part. Because when he, that one part where he comes up and he's got the orb, and he comes up, the big dramatic thing, and he fumbles the orb and he drops <laughs> back down and he picks it back up, that's a funny little beat. Like, most people would not put that in the movie. But this, they show the fallibility, I guess, of the character. Yep. I made the comment to Rob when he did that. Was that an outtake that they decided to keep in the movie? I don't know, but it, it I want to know. It, it works. so deliberate, though. And it works so well. Yeah. Like I said, especially for that character. Now, I know you're feeling a little bitter about Star Wars and stuff like this. Go ahead. That 
the space battle, the, the, the fighter battle. Was awesome. Did that kind of remind you of the Empire, Return of the uh, Jedi? Return of the Jedi. Or... The first mass... The beginning of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, w- I was going back to Return of the Jedi because that seems to me the first, very first mass fighter battle. That looked awesome. That looked awesome. Yes. Yeah. Because you look at the first battle from Star Wars, New Hope, and yeah. it's got like four TIE fighters that move in unison. Yeah. You know, it's not really a space battle. But yeah, in Return of the Jedi, when the Falcon flies right into the swarm of TIE fighters, it's like, ah. Oh. Yeah, that, those, that fighter battle was awesome. And then when, when all the Nova fighters link up to make that big net to try oh, and the stop barricade. the barricade. Awesome. That was wicked. That was really well, cool. Really neat effect. When I... When I when I first saw it, when they said, okay, uh, Nova Corps fighters tra- uh, link up and transform, I'm going, oh, we're getting a big giant robot. <laughs> Voltron, yes! <laughs> and I'm going, oh, okay, this, this is kind of neat. And then when they did that barrier, I went, that's even cooler. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it is. It looked like a big blanket trying yeah, to hold Giant fishnet. Yes. Now, the one thing that I did like about this, too, is during those space battles, things got hit. And they got damaged. Yes. You know, like when Quill's flying up towards the ship and it's it hits the one wing, you see the huge black mark, you know? Or when the guy next to Rocket gets blown up and that piece flies over, hits his canopy, it shatters some of the glass. Battle damage. Yes. It was attention yeah, to detail. Really good detail mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Physics were yeah. not forgotten, which nope. brings the realism out. And because it's not a space battle, it's an in atmospheric battle, you do see more of it because it's not just the black background of a space battle. Mm-hmm. You see the effects of, of what happens to the city with the battle damage that's going on. And when they operation immolation kind of thing, I'm like, well, what's that all about? And they drop like rocks. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. And it's like, Woo. Basically, kamikaze turtles. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yes. That's what it is. Did you catch that um, John C. Riley's wife and kid? Yeah. That was the girl and woman that were on that bridge when and Rocket saved them? Yep. Yep. I, I love that. Nice little touch there. Yep. Like I said, everything's connected. So that. I want more John C. Riley, too. <laughs> he was fantastic. He was good. He... <laughs> But uh, that was the other thing about the story, too. They don't just shove something in your face because it's good. Like, I love John C. Riley and almost everything he's done. You know, Walk Hard is awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, Dewey, don't do that cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is awesome. Boogie Nights, he is great. Yeah. You know, he was really good in here, too. And his character was nice. But it wasn't just shoved in there so you could see it. It was kind of weird seeing you know? him in that role because he was the total straight guy. There was nothing silly about him. Exactly. And you don't see that from him very well, often. Okay, what character does he play? The Nova Corps are the police of that quadrant of the galaxy or whatever. Yep. So he's going to be a police officer. And the fact that he already knew Star-Lord when he... The yeah, yeah. Oh, you again, Star Prince. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have a code name. Yeah, so there's a familiarity there, with, obviously, between the police and the world, the 
Galaxy's best outlaw. Yep. So it made sense that he called that Quill called him. Exactly. Because there's no other person uh, that would believe anything that Quill because that the the second in command of Nova Corps uh, when he said I don't believe him and said it, it, it's just a trap or a diversion or something like that. Glenn Close said to uh, it's Nova Prime, I guess was her name. Glenn Close. Do, do you believe him? Well, I don't believe that everyone's 100% dick, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, Glenn Close was good, too. That's the thing. When, she, when the first Nova Prime came, I went, holy crap, Glenn Close. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the last person you'd expect to see in a Marvel movie? Exactly. Uh-huh. Well, that and Howard the Duck. Well... Yeah, that stands as the best cameo in a movie. There are two little blurbs. One right immediately almost as the movie ends. Because it says the Guardians of the Galaxy will return. And then it comes back with little baby dancing Groot. Yeah, you get to see Drax uh, cleaning his knives. And there's uh, the the music for the end trailers is playing. Like Jackson 5, isn't it? Yep. Yep. So... It cuts to Drax, and there you see Baby Groot coming out of his pot, and he's poop, poop, and he pops out two arms. Then he starts dancing. Because you have to know, in this movie, Groot dies. Okay? Uh, Sacrifices himself heroically for everybody. So Rocket puts him in a pot, and he starts to grow again. So he, like Mike said, he's boogieing away, and then Drax will look over, and he stops. Drax looks back at his knives and he starts boogieing again. So where can we get the uh, little dancing root plants? Like I've well, seen the little flowers that dance in this. With that's the exactly panel. where that so, came from. Well, not only that, saw that, and then they. If you look online, Christina's already posted a picture of people that are selling little acrylic baby Groots in a pot. <laughs> okay. Yep. But then you get to the final clip. Now, we've talked about how uh, the Collector was going for the Infinity Stone. He's actually explaining everything to these people. And uh, one of his servants grabs a hold of it and the place blows up. So at the very, 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 very end, after every single credit is rolled, there's the Collector sitting down, nursing his wounds, you know. Having a, a cool, refreshing drink. Little dog in a spacesuit comes over and licks his face. Yep, the Russian space dog licks his face, you know, keeps on going. And all of a sudden you hear, you let him lick your face? That's disgusting. And you cut over and there's Howard the Duck sitting there drinking his drink. Howard the Duck got him on. (laughs) That's an excellent cameo. But it was cool because it looked like the exact same thing they used, except the mouth was computer generated. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Howard the oh, Duck. Okay, yes. In the credits, what was that one of that last lines? No raccoons or tree creatures were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> Which is very important. Now we know the OSPCA or the ASPCA, if you're in the States. In the Arbor Audubon Society. Exactly. They will not be boycotting this movie. Nope. <laughs> and I guess we know raccoon doesn't consider himself a raccoon. You mean rocket? Yes, well, I still say rocket raccoon. What's a raccoon? Yeah, it's what you are. <laughs> There ain't no me but me. That's I, I loved Rocket's attitude. He was such a spunky little rocket. Oh, yes. And then when you're first introduced to Groot. I am Groot. <laughs> That's nice. Why did Vin Diesel get paid to say four, diff- four words? Yeah. 
because he was three, and then at the end he yeah. pulled out that fourth word. Well, then he has occasional roars and grunts and stuff like that. But yeah, but that's that's he one. Even do the grunts and roars. Yeah. He could, that's one day in the recording. Exactly, one afternoon, a six pack of beer, and he's done. Yeah. <laughs> but I did like the uh, <laughs> when they finally do the uh, the jailbreak from the kiln. They're back on uh, Star Lord ship, and you see Rocket tinkering. <laughs> yep. He's constantly tinkering with these things. And he goes, Star Lord comes in, and he goes, What's that? Oh, that's a bomb. Uh, what are you doing with a bomb? You don't leave a bomb laying around. Well, I was going to put it in this box. <laughs> well, what's a box going to do? <laughs> exactly. What's oh. that for? For when things get really messy. <laughs> that's the thing with Rocket. His brain is so advanced, you know, he can't slow down. No. In some of the comics, he doesn't even sleep. Because his brain is constantly thinking. So, yeah, he's just making gadgets out of everything. Well, as you notice at the end, too, he gets smacked by Ronan, hits that thing, he looks over and sees the pieces, boom, right over he goes, starts building something else. Hadron, what they call it? Hadron accelerator or something? Uh, Oh, no, the Hadron accelerator didn't work. It did once. It worked, it just didn't take it out enough. Yep. Oh, sorry, yes, you're right, because they shot him. Yes. The second time he shot the hammer. Yes. yes. Yeah, it worked against the hammer. And, come on, Ronan's about to kill him, and it starts into the dance battle, <laughs> Dance off, you and me, bro. What are you that doing? What are you, you doing? Click, click, <laughs> boom. <laughs> when he goes, okay, come on, you, and just looks at him like, no. Right, take, take it back. back. <laughs> again, that's that... Quirkiness you just don't expect. No. Well, I think you definitely have to have the right actor to pull that stuff off. And Chris Pratt, for for whatever he's done in the past, just smashed it out of the park with this one. His rendition of, well, okay, his is the only rendition of (laughs) Star-Lord, but he owned that character. And the fact that he got himself in spectacular shape yeah, when he got washed down with that orange goo, yeah, he, and it's like, spent he's actually time, ripped. Yeah, he spent a lot of time in the gym. He's not the rock by any stretch of the imagination, but, but I think he went, oh, 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 oh. movie reference, sorry, comic book reference, he's not the blob. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but he saw himself going to be on stage with Batista at the same time. Yeah, no doubt. He goes, I better hit the gym. Yeah. <laughs> now, Robert Downey Jr., He's Tony Stark. He is Iron Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Pratt, he is Star-Lord. Yeah. No one else can fill those shoes. No, you, you all, you can also say Heath Ledger as the Joker. That's another one. That That's would, a big one. That's, yeah. There, there's, there's some roles you just cannot see anybody else getting into. Yeah. After seeing these guys. Like, again, okay, Stark, Stark, Ledger, Heath Ledger, Chris Pratt in this. Stark? You're going to call him Stark? His name's Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. As Stark. Yes. <laughs> I'm driving and talking. Time. But no, that's just it. He is Tony Stark. Like, you can't picture him as anyone else. No. You yeah. know? Like, there's there's very few actors that you can actually relate to like that. Yeah. Like, you can... Because Batman has been played by so many characters, or so many actors... Like, you go, okay, Affleck's taking his turn at Batman? Okay. Sure, why not? Sure, why not? Um, they hit the next one where someone's got to be the Joker, though. That is going to be tough. 
I don't know if they can pull the Joker anymore. Like, I know he's such a, 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 a big part of Batman mythos. It's going to be hard. It's like, everything that they do is going to be compared to Ledger's rendition. Now, that mentioning the Joker brings something to mind that I just, I, I experienced this week and I want to share. Okay, um, in the Arrow, because I've got like two episodes left in the second season, we're introduced to Suicide Squad. Okay. Nice. I, again, don't know anything about them. But I recognize a couple of the characters from the show and whatnot. So, I, when you're introduced to them, and a couple of them come out and they, they got to go on this mission, and you hear this voice, because uh, a couple of guys are squabbling or whatever, and you hear this voice. If you guys, it's a, it's a female voice, kind of high-pitched. If you guys uh, need to talk things out, I'm a, I was a licensed therapist. Harley. Like, sounds like Harley. And then they just came out with a new DC animated, Batman Assault on Arkham, which is all about the Suicide Squad. And oh, Harley oh. is a part of that. Okay. There it is. We're going to get Harley Quinn on Arrow. <laughs> now that is cool. Are, now, are they going to risk going see, and bringing Joker? But we have to we have to put a kibosh on that because that is DC and this is the Marvel spotlight I right know, now. You mentioned Joker. I came to mind I wanted to get that out there before I forgot about it. Okay. Okay. Point of order. <laughs> you cannot. I, I. Where where does Arrow fall in the timeline when it com- comes to Gotham and? They're different. They're not in the same universe. Because Gotham's on a totally separate network. Gotham is Fox. Whereas Arrow and Flash are... CW. So they're not in the same universe. Just like none of the TV shows are in are connected with their movies. That's been made clear. They are not going to try and pull a Marvel and connect their TV universes with the movie universes. But, since they... Since they're doing Gotham... And the Joker is tied with Batman, but I know it's far too back in the storyline to worry about a Joker. I don't see them getting permission to use somebody from the Batman rogues gallery on Arrow or something like that. It just... I don't know. We have that hint of her. We didn't see her, we just heard the voice. But it was definitely Harley. And the Suicide Squad seems to be like it's going to be a recurring thing on Arrow. Huh, okay. We'll have to see how that plays out, because, yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's kind of like the whole Spider-Man Daredevil. They're two different companies, so Spider-Man couldn't reference Kingpin, and then Daredevil cannot reference Daily Bugle, even though that's where Ben Urick works. Yeah. They can't talk about it. It's, It's weird that... You can understand where the, the, the people that own the properties for the, the, the TV and the movies want to keep the exclusivity. But everybody knows, and it, it, like you can, you can wink at the camera, I guess, with these little uh, hints and whatnot. Yeah, but it's it just kind of like... Argh. And see, I think that's where comic property almost needs a new law, because it's not like television law. No. Because, sure, you have exclusive rights to Supernatural, right? The history of Supernatural is that show, so you don't have to worry about it. But to get exclusive rights to Spider-Man, unfortunately, he is part of a universe and has his little webhooks in all sorts of stuff. 
Now, what you're, the problem there is those film rights, that was something that was established long ago. They had no idea. No one could predict what Hollywood's able to pull off now. Oh, yeah. With all this, these TVs and TV shows and movies. So that was, that's just a, that's a hindsight thing. Now they're kicking themselves saying, oh, why didn't we hold on to these rights? And well, see, I'm even talking about shows, like you said, for, for Arrow. To have Harley Quinn in there, even though, like you said, she's part of Batman's rogue gallery, you know. Technically, if you're going to have the Batman show, that would fall under there. So exclusivity would say, nope, no Harley. But yet, everybody knows it's part of the same universe, you know. That's where I think maybe that when you start getting into these comic shows, you have to have a little bit more leeway or a different law. Yeah. You know. And then that whole, you know, with Sony owning this part of Marvel with the, the Fantastic Four and, uh, and Spider-Man and the X titles being owned by Fox and whatnot, I get into that discussion with Xander and it, it, it pisses him off. He gets angry <laughs> as I'm trying to explain it to him because he just, he doesn't fully understand it. He can't keep track of it. Why, Why can't we get Wolverine yeah. in the Avengers? Why you know? can't we get Spider-Man in the Fantastic Four duking it out with the Mole Man? That kind of thing. <laughs> we can. FF is owned by Sony. So, yes, Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four can cross paths, technically. But those two will never meet up with the Avengers or the X-Men. Right. (laughs) We'll never say never. Somebody eventually could write a big enough paycheck. Well, this could really be bad. (laughs) But see, that's where something should come into the effect where, okay, look, well, like they did with Quicksilver, you know? Blowing them out. Yeah, we want to use them for this show. You know, he is the same universe. We'll just reference the name. We won't touch any history. Because, yeah, they did not make any reference to his father. No. No, they didn't. They didn't even really make reference to their names either. They just showed them in the uh, their cells. Yep. Oh, but, that was for Avengers. But you did get to see, <clears throat> like, in the Avengers, you knew exactly who they were. Oh, man. Yep. But in X-Men... Technically, they couldn't reference Magneto because of the fact, and they couldn't mention the fact that he was a mutant. Yeah. No. Which no. In X Men, they can they say they can say he's a mutant. In the Avengers, they're not allowed to say he's a mutant. Right. That's it. Which is still baffling to me. It's just a word. Yeah. And yet it's because it's tied into the mythos. Yep. That creates a, a, a legal nightmare. Because even if you say mutant, it cannot be. It, it, it all depends on context, I suppose, when you say the word. Well, you get into comic movies and you say the word mutant, first thing your mind goes to is X Men, yeah. you know? Or turtles. So, oh, yeah, that's well, true, too. <laughs> <laughs> not so much turtles. Those no. Are yeah. No, they're not, actually. They're not. It's been. There's a very clear. I don't know if it's a trailer or a scene. He says, well, and they say, basically say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but not in that order. It's a, it's a joke with Megan Fox that that's how she words it all. And Okay. Megan, Megan Fox that's has one way to problems say it. with words anyways. So. Yeah. Well, no, she's not a Kardashian. <laughs> well, there is that. I don't need this anymore. The only problem with the words Megan Fox has is, you know, calling a boss a Nazi, but apparently... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they've, they've apparently mended fences or, hey. you know, built a concentration camp or something. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I guess that's still a little tender. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Where are we at for time on there? I haven't got a clue because the screen's blacked out. Oh. Well, hit the, uh, hit the button. Boop. And then it should say slide down lock. Oh, it says 66 minutes. Oh. Yeah, so we're doing good. So, yeah, I think we should uh, get to the end of this. Yeah. Yeah, we espoused our love of the, of the flick. Yeah, go see Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. If you haven't already, and you listen to this, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're not doing it near enough justice. No, no. Not at all. Oh, uh, no. If you can go see it at the best possible quality available to you, if you can see it in an Atmos theater. With the AVX? AV- oh, my God. I, oh, I just wondered what it would be like in uh, IMAX. 3D oh. IMAX. We need to look it up. Where is IMAX? <laughs> uh, Windsor and London. Okay. Just not in Chatham. Not in Chatham. <laughs> ABC, anywhere but Chatham. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. That's about it, isn't it? So, yeah, so I, I guess we can wrap this for Yeah. Yeah. I wanna, I wanna... Go see Guardians. It's the only place you'll see. Uh, what's his name? Star Lord. Peter Quill singing using a two-headed rat creature as a microphone. That was amazing. <laughs> that was so. If, okay, that right there, that scene where he's going into that the uh, the, uh, the abandoned city and he snatches up this little rat creature that was trying to bite him, and he's using it as a microphone as he's singing and dancing through the rooms of this place. If that doesn't give you the idea of what you're in for with a guy like Peter Quill. You're watching the wrong movie. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Go find Jason Bourne or somebody. Because, yeah. Cause, yeah. He, is, he said he's he's a carefree uh, outlaw. Mm-hmm. And he, he has an idea of what he wants to do. And he's going out and doing it. Go see the movie. Go see the movie. Go yeah. see the yeah. movie. We're, we're not getting paid by Marvel or Disney or anything like that. <laughs> Although we're not averse to getting royalty checks. No, no, no. Hint, hint, hint Disney. If you wish, would if you would like to throw some sponsorship money this way, you know, we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll consider negotiations. Absolutely, we'll definitely give all your movies a good, honest watch. <laughs> That's right, every single one of them, way back to the ten- the computer that wore tennis shoes. We'll do them all. <laughs> okay, maybe That's not that one. That's the one you pull. Well, it's the farthest back I could think of. <laughs> I guess we could go Snow White, but well, you know, Steamboat Willie. Steamboat Willie. Yeah, there. All right, all right. Okay, we we digress. Yeah. Again. Okay, so I guess oh, the road noise is awesome. Yes, uh, I can see the waves. Yeah, going crazy. Yeah. I guess, okay, so for another week of the Movie Madhouse, this has been Mike, Jason, and Rob. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. See ya.